So if you guys are turning your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, that is the story for today. So it's a continuation of the aftermath of what happened on Mount Carmel. And we have this huge high, right? So Elijah had Yahweh start the fire on the altar. Big victory. They beat the prophets of Baal. They killed a bunch of them to make sure they cleansed the earth. And so all of a sudden we think that the story's good. Yay, we won. Everything's good to go. There should be, we should be happy. You know, I want to say partying, but we should be celebrating because Yahweh is now in his rightful place. But all of a sudden, we're going to see in a minute that Jezebel comes in and turns everything upside down. And Elijah goes from the literal mountaintop to the valley to hiding, and he has to go back up another mountain. And so that's a lot like how life is. We have highs and we have lows. Right? We have this up and down sometimes in our lives, and it's very difficult sometimes to, to manage it. Especially right now with all the COVID stuff, I just read a thing this morning, an article that said the suicide, depression rates, things like that, went from one in five people to one in three people. So went from about 20% to 33% of people who are suffering these effects is because they are, you know, we're locked in the house a lot of times. We're not stuck. We, we can do things. We're staying safe, but... You know, depending on how your mindset is, you, you, you feel like you're stuck, you can't do things, you can't go to work, you may stress about money, all these things that's going on, and so it drives people into this depression. And so we can do this, we do this dance all the time of up and down, and so we need something to make us even keeled, right? We need to have our focus on the right person, and that person is God, to keep us kind of on a level plane. And we're going to have ups and downs, and we'll make sure we're clear on that, that we know we're going to have problems in our lives. As Christians, it doesn't just go away. And sometimes they get multiplied or magnified. But we know that God is going to get us through whatever it is that he's got up, set up for us. And so we, if we stay focused on him, we can do that and stay in focus with him. And we're going to look at Elijah, and some of this is going to come just to the ministry standpoint. This is very helpful for me as a pastor because we're going to look through it. We see these things that go on. The church is very much, oh, we had 400 people today, and we had two today. The last week, we had two today. What's going on? Right? It's easy to get wrapped up in certain things and go, this is the gauge of our ministry. And we don't look for those victories that we do have kind of on a day-to-day basis. And so I'm going to read the first eight verses, or I'll go through the first nine verses, because nine's kind of the transition there, and then we will get into the sermon itself in the outline. So this is uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel that Elijah had done, what Eli- that Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them, by this time tomorrow. So basically, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow night. I'm putting a contract out on you. I'm going to put a hit on you. You're going to die tomorrow. So verse 3, Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba, that, that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough. 
Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. And then he looked. And there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. And so he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. And so we'll leave it there. And if you look at the outline, we have it. So I have this as the journey for answers. Because that's really what, if you get into it, there's a lot of questions in this, in this passage, these passages. So first we have running to the wilderness. That's the first eight verses, climbing the mountain and then meeting companions in the wilderness. And so we're going to see how this unfolds. Because remember, this whole, this whole movie, if you want to look at it that way, from 1 Kings, the end of 16, all the way to 20, or the end of 19, it's all about God defeating death, God defeating Baal. And so here we have... Elijah, he's now again faced with this threat of his life. So he's his own death and also the death of his religion. Because here in Elijah, we're going to look here in a minute, Elijah thinks he's the only one left. So he thinks that this, this is just going to die out. Once he's gone, it's gone. And he kind of forgets all of a sudden that God is still there. He's still alive. He's the one bringing and raising up people to be in his church, essentially, his nation. And so we see this, how God is going to defeat death one more time because he is command of it. He's in command of everything. So here's the main point. What you think about God and ourselves determines how we deal with the highs and lows of life. And we're going to get into it but, but real quick. Elijah is thinking a little bit too much of himself here where he thinks if he's done, then he's the last guy and it's it. Not remembering who God is, and he's the one bringing people in. Right? And I'm going to keep stressing that, but that's important to understand. So first, running to the wilderness, right? He, does, he goes away. So the question here is, why me, or what did I do to deserve this? That's kind of the question Elijah's asking himself here. And so he just experienced a high. He defeated the enemy. He witnessed this. He, he called God's fire down on the mountain. But the situation quickly plummets as soon as Jezebel threatens his life, right? She sends a messenger, hey, I want you dead. I'm going to kill you tomorrow or by tomorrow. So any time in the next 24-hour period. It's revenge, right? It's revenge for him killing all her prophets of Baal. So he's stressed. And so he just thinks it's better just not to continue the journey. For whatever reason, right, maybe it's fatigue. Right? He just had this huge rush of adrenaline, right? He ran, remember, he ran from... From the mountain, Mount Carmel, all the way into the city, he was running in front of the chariot. So he had to be running pretty fast. So he had all this energy. Then all of a sudden, it, if you ever played a game, a sport or anything like that, the adrenaline wears off. You're in kind of that fight or flight situation. All of a sudden, you're just drained. You're like, oh, I'm so tired. I can't. I just want to sleep. Because this is a lot of spiritual energy he has just given out on the Mount Carmel. So it's important to understand that. And so maybe it's fatigue. Maybe it's a lack of faith. Maybe he didn't think that God was going to do all these things in a sense, or maybe it's just resignation at the prospect of never having peace. He's already been on the run for three years. Remember, Ahab was chasing him down for the last three years, and he thought that this was it. We're done. I beat you. Let me go home. That's it. And Jezebel jumps back in and says, nope, I'm still going to chase you. So he flees. He's like, I'm, if I'm going to run, I'm going to run. I'm going to go and I'll leave. And so he basically quits. 
He quits his ministry. More accurately, he thinks his ministry is over, or at least it should be. He's like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm going to resign from the church. I'm done. I can't take it anymore. And this, is, this happens to a lot of pastors where they just get so spent they can't take it, and they resign. Monday morning, there's all kinds of things I'm on pastor boards like, I have my resignation letter ready to go on Monday. I'm going to drop it off and be done. Because the ministry is so difficult because we're dealing with people. And so we all have our breaking points, right? And so this is Elijah's breaking point. And so, in fact, he's so done with his ministry, right? He lets his servant go. He, he says, hey, assistant pastor, I don't have a church anymore. I don't need you. We can't pay you. Goodbye. Go find another place to do, have another job. Right? He lets his servant go in Beersheba. You might be better off with somebody else. But why? Because Jezebel is as committed to Baal as Elijah is to Yahweh. So he has met his match, essentially. Ahab, we watch him, he kind of, he does whatever somebody tells him. Elijah was bossing him around. Jezebel bosses him around. So he's the king, but he's really not the king. He's not in charge. He's just the guy you want to go to to complain about. But, but Jezebel's different. She is kind of his equal, in a sense, as far as his devotion, her devotion to Baal. He's like, I don't know how to deal with this. Killing the priest was easy. She's just somebody completely different to deal with. He experienced a high, but all of a sudden he's brought low, or more accurately, right? He's bringing himself low by fearing Jezebel. He's fearing another human being. And so Elijah goes and asks himself, why me, right? He goes under a broom tree. And I had a picture of the broom tree somewhere in case I didn't know what, it, what, what they look like either. So that's what a broom tree looks like. So they're all through the Middle East and whatnot. So he goes, finds one of those, look nice and shady it looks like. So he goes there and he falls asleep. And he says, what am I supposed to do if I still didn't actually win? I thought I won, but I didn't. I must have failed. All my efforts for my ministry didn't work. So I am no better than my ancestors. I can't convince people. We're going to find out in a minute. In the next chunk of verses, part of his problem is that he thought that nobody converted. There were nobody getting saved, baptized, everything else. So I was like, I might as well quit. So just take my life, God. Kill me. So I can join all the other prophets. I might as well just go hang out with them in heaven and be done. But you see, God has other plans. He sends an angel twice to feed him and strengthen him for the journey to Mount Horeb. And what the angel says is, get up in verse, verse 7, get up and drink or the journey will be too much for you. Because sometimes when depression manifests itself physically, we don't want to eat. We've probably all been there where it's like, I'm just not hungry today. I, don't, I just don't care to eat. And sometimes if it goes on for days, that's dangerous. You know, a day or two, it may be okay. You can fast. That's fine. But when you get down to it, because these are, these are manifestations of depression that he has. And so he is being told, somebody tells him, you need to eat because you have 40 more days to walk. You have a month and a half of walking. I'm not sure any of us have ever probably walked a month and a half through terrain like that. You know, this is not on the sidewalk. This is through desert rocks and dirt and sand. And if you've walked through sand, like that, you know, into deserts like that, it's harder. It's harder to go. And you go up and down mountains, depending on which way you're going. So this is not an easy journey. But how many of us have ever felt like Elijah? Right? I tried my hardest, God. I just can't do it. I, I've done all I can. Right, and that's, the, that's, the, that's what we hear. I've done all I can. 
to do this. Whatever it is, whatever ministry it is, whatever, whoever we're trying to help, whatever it is, I am at my limit. And I just can't do it. I can't get it all the way finished, right? Ministry is hard. It's ups and downs. Dealing with people is hard. It's ups and downs. It's full, full church one day, empty church the next day. It's mailing out 400 flyers like we did last year, and nobody from the neighborhood shows up for our Christmas event. Right? And it's easy to go, why? Why are we, why are we trying for But then we do the same thing. We go out and knock on 200 and some odd doors or whatever, roughly. We had 25 people, kids and parents at, at the Thursday Kids Club Thanksgiving dinner thing. It just takes work. And it's God's timing. It's all in God's timing. So we are just called to go do the work. It's easier to stop. It's easier to run away. It's easier to stop doing outreach and withdraw from the public and say, well, fine, then we're just here for us. This is our church anyway. Who cares? And this is what happens with a lot of churches that are declining. They get inward focused. I want the walls this color. I want this this way. I want that this way. Because I, that's how I like it. And if you listen to the language, everything is I-centered, right? I, I, I. And it becomes we, but that's the first person plural. We. So we are making a decision based on what we want instead of what they may want. And how do we reach them the third person. And so we accuse people maybe of not being Christian enough or they just, they're just heathens. They don't want to come to church. And so church becomes a country club for saints. And it just, the wall, the canyon separates larger and larger between here and there. But we must persevere. We have to keep going. This life that we have been given and all the roads that we find ourselves on are long, or hopefully it's long, but it's fruitful. Because God provided the food for Elijah because the journey would be too much. And so, if you don't take the spiritual food, if you don't eat the food that he is providing us, we will not make it. Why? Because the mountain is tall. So he has to climb this mountain. So he goes up to Mount Horeb. So he walks for 40 days and he finds himself in a cave. And I have a picture of the cave, what they think they call Elijah's cave. And that is what they think is Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. It's the same same mountain, um, just different names. So that's what they call Elijah's cave. That's what they think that that was actually where he was at. So this is, took place there. And so the question here, and God asks him, what are you doing here? And why are you here? And we get a little bit more insight to what Elijah's thinking about and how he's feeling. He's so depressed. And he says, the people witnessed the victory. They killed Baal's prophets. But it seems like from Elijah's statements, the people just did not turn back, and they did not become followers of Yahweh again like they should have. Right? These are Israelites. So these are the people who grew up with the stories of Yahweh, or they should have grown up with the stories of the Lord, but they just don't want to do it. They, they're, they're happy and comfortable with their own lives. In Cana, whatever they're doing. And so, which that, that, that makes a little more sense of why he thinks he's the only one left. He's like, nobody wants to come to church. Nobody wants to join the church. I'm just here by myself. Like, I might as well just quit. I might as well be done. Right, and this, but this question that Elijah really needs to ask himself in this situation is, who is God? Who is God? Because he was bragging to the prophets of Baal, and he was reveling when God's fire rained down on the mountain of Mount Carmel. He said, this is my God. He is doing this. He is destroying you. He has destroyed you. 
I called, he answered. But all of a sudden, he's like, he forgets that. He forgets who God just, what God just did, you know, a day ago, when he gets started running away, basically. And he had 40 days to think about this, so I'm not sure where, he, where his mind went on the 40-day trek, because he was by himself just walking in the desert, so he's got a lot of time to think and answer for questions. But Elijah is in a cave on top of Mount Horeb, and so God says, go outside and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And this is the same mountain where God showed himself to Moses in Exodus. So all this stuff happens at the same place. Right? So Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, it's the same thing, is very important, integral to the whole Israelite history. This is where he gave him the Ten Commandments. This is all these things that happen on this mountain. This is basically God's mountain. And so Elijah feels a mighty wind, an earthquake, and a fire. But God was not in them. God's making it happen. I'm going to make sure we're there, right? But he's not in them. He's not the one. That's not his power, manifestation of it. All these cataclysmic events that you see that you're standing there being blown by fire and air and dust and everything else, it's like, that's not God, that's just wind. That's God making the wind, but he, that's not really Him. After all the noise and the fury, and if you've ever been in a big thunderstorm or maybe a hurricane or something like that where it stops and you've just heard wind for hours and it stops and it's just eerily quiet, I kind of imagine it like that, like it's just dead calm and Elijah hears a small voice a soft whisper and he instantly knows it's God and so in verse 13 it says when Elijah heard it he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave right he he was so taken aback by this he didn't know what to do but cover his face he didn't want to look at God. He, he just didn't know what to do. He was all of a sudden just taken aback. And so God asked him the same question. Elijah, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And Elijah gives the same answer. I've been very zealous for the Lord of the army, Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. I am left alone. They're looking for me to take my life. And then God says, okay, well, go and return by the way you came, in verse 15, to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazel, or Hazazel, as king over Aram. And you are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as the king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, whatever, as prophet in your place. Sorry, I didn't practice that word, so... Um, because as a parent or maybe as a kid or as an employee, have you ever been asked the same question a couple different times? And you give maybe the same answer, but then you start to realize that that's not a great answer. And you realize why you're really complaining or there or bummed out or whatever it is. Because you have to say things out loud. That's why I, people joke with me or about me because I talk out loud to myself. And people think, as long as you don't answer yourself, you're okay, right? But the reason I do that is because when you hear it in your, through your ears into your brain, it is different than if you just hear it in your head. Right? And I'm not saying I, I don't do everything out loud, but sometimes you just have to kind of work through things. 
But I imagine this part after hearing God's whisper and all these other things, Elijah probably realized how ridiculous that sounds. Because here he is standing in front of God and he's like, I'm the only one left. And God's like, really? You've seen all these things you've already done and you just saw this stuff and you think you're the only one left? You're still sticking to that story? Is that what you think? And so you probably, I kind of get this idea that Elijah is, is his defenses are melting off and you, you start realizing, okay, this is not right. I'm in the wrong. I need to not be depressed. And, and it's not one of those things that make him feel bad, but it's to realize that, oh, God is here. And so the Lord's word to him reaffirms God's uniqueness, his, his sovereignty over all the nations and the importance of the prophetic word. So God tells him, go back the way you came. And so God is giving him this command to get back into the game, get back into the active service of the Lord. I'm putting you back in the church. You had your pity party. Now get back to work. You know, it's okay. It's okay to feel not good sometimes. You know, it's not a sin to be sad or depressed. It's okay. But you need to get back to work. And I still have things for you to do. And so in this scene, though, we hear God's voice four different times. And so God's word is where the power manifests. God's word is full of power. He made the creation of the world through his word. God's word, the Logos, died on the cross for us to be reconciled to God. That is the power of the word. Not the things we see, the storm, the wind, the fire, the earthquake. It's his word. And so Elijah doesn't, or God doesn't yell at Elijah. Instead, he knows he feels down, he feels bad. God realizes he is tired and worn out. And so God uses a quiet voice to comfort and teach him, right? Just when our kids are sick. You don't yell at them, get out of bed! Say, hey, are you okay? Can I get you something? Give you a calm, calming voice and word to help you. Ultimately, God is restoring his prophet, and so God tells Elijah, go back the way you came. And so we see he's going to meet or look for some companions in the wilderness, as it were. And so the question here is, who will come next? Who will come next? Because Elijah is one of the last ones, but God comforts him and says, look, there's more people. And I want you to go talk to these three guys, and they're going to take care of some things. There's still 7,000 people left over that I've saved, that I've called to be the rest of the church, to be the nation of Israel. Because Elijah doesn't see the big plan. He's stuck right here. But he says, this is it. I, I'm the only one here. I can't see anything else. And so he's got his blinders on. God is letting him in on the next stage of the plan. He said, here you go. This is what's coming next. Because we'd love to have the big plan laid out, have the whole thing, like, here you go. This is what's going on, so I need to be here on Tuesday, I need to be here on Wednesday. That'd be great, right? If we had just a calendar date of things that we know we need to be, go talk to, go talk to Mitch about Jesus today, go talk to Joe today, you know, whatever it is, that'd be easy. But God lets us figure some things out for ourselves. And he's got it all detailed out, but... We need to trust Him, right? That's why the walking by faith comes into play, where we need to trust Him that what's going on is, right, is good and right. So Elijah goes back the way he came on his journey. He, came, he goes and anoints two kings, and he finds the replacement, Elisha. He says, hey, I need a new assistant pastor, and you're it. God told me you're it. And Elijah's out there plowing the fields, and he goes, okay, 
fine, but can I tell my parents goodbye? And he said, yeah, sure. But then you notice what Elisha does. He kills the oxen and burns his, uh, his plow and the yoke. He burns it. He uses that for firewood to have a barbecue before he leaves. It's going away. And then what does that signify? I'm not coming back. I'm committing my life to the Lord and I'm not coming back. So we don't need these extra oxen. We don't need this extra, all the tack and everything else that goes with it. This is it. I'm leaving. I got a new job. And so we see the, the definity of Elisha's ability of what his appointment means as Elijah's successor. Elisha's bought in 100%. He's like, all right, I'm good. But Elijah has this experience. He experienced the power and the healing of God. And so he sets out to obey God fully renewed, and he's fully aware that God and his strength and his word is not going to fail. So he has now shown Elijah that God has defeated death again. And so Elijah walks by and throws his cloak or his mantle on Elisha, which is a symbolic way of transferring the prophetic power from one man to the next. So his nice stole or whatever, his little mantle, his jacket thing, he just chucks it on him and says, you're it. You're my new guy. He says, all right. And so Jesus reflects this type of separation when he states, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Amen. So it would be nice if I could just go back and do that, right? Just like the, the, the Israelites in Exodus. They said, I want to go back to Egypt. They had cucumbers. They had leeks. They had better food. I'm tired of eating airplane food and MREs. I want to eat the good stuff. I want to eat the steak. But God said, keep marching forward. Jesus tells us, keep going forward. Once you're on the train, you're not getting off. And so Elisha takes this single-minded approach to this difficult task that, that he has to assume. Because he already... I'm sure he's heard stories of all the people getting killed. And Jezebel's still alive, so you have to remember that. that so technically, Elijah's life is still in danger. So anybody associated with him would probably be equally in danger. And so Elisha takes this on fully knowing these consequences, these potential consequences at least. And so Elisha's going to go away until the second, second kings, but we see Elijah getting back to normal. And so here's our application so when you're low, right, when we are down, when we feel depressed, when we come off that mountaintop into this, into this gully or this valley, because sometimes it's a ditch, we just work ourselves into a ditch, right? The first thing is we need to do is, is eat something for the trip. We have to eat something for the trip. So after feeding the masses with five loaves and two fish, the crowd hunts Jesus down, basically, in John 6. And so starting in John 26 and 20, chapter 6, 26 and 27, Jesus answers them, Truly I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you, because you ate the loaves and you were filled. Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because the God, the Father, has set his seal of approval on him. And so we see this, this we need to eat the right spiritual food to get fed for the journey. Just like the, the food that the angels was probably not your run-of-the-mill bread cakes or whatever they were. It was made by God, made by the angels, so it probably had some extra get-up-and-go power or something like that. But because it's from God, so the, what we, the bread we get is from Jesus. He is the living bread. He is the bread of life. And Paul constantly encourages this, the churches to keep going on this long trip, to persevere in the faith. To persevere in spite of and with suffering that takes place when you're a Christian. 
Not because if you don't, you're going to lose your salvation. Because the Bible is clear that you will not lose your salvation. But you're going to miss out on the greater gifts of God. You're going to miss out on hearing and seeing God's voice. And knowing you have seen your part to the end. So Oswald Chambers in his devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, says, Perseverance means more than endurance. More than simply holding on until the end. A saint's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something that the saint cannot see. But our Lord continues to stretch and strain, and every once in a while the saint says, I can't take anymore. Yet God pays no attention. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight, and then he lets the arrow fly. So entrust yourself to God's hands. Is there something in your life for which you need perseverance right now? Maintain your intimate relationship with Jesus Christ with the perseverance of faith. Proclaim as Job did, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Right? So if you've ever seen like the long bowman, if you watch weird old English movies fighting with the French, like the English longbows, they would have to pull them back and they were basically their artillery of the day so they could, they could hit way over there from here with their bow and they had to pull it way back. And they let it go. They, they may not be able to see everything they're trying to hit, but they just do it. And that's what God is doing. The arrow doesn't know where it's going, but the archer does. We are the arrow. We are being used with, by God for His purposes, to hit His targets. So we need to fill up on God. He's the one that's sustaining you. A lot of times when I get done here, we, when we do children's church, things like that, I don't, I'm not hungry. I'm completely satisfied with what I've done because I'm spiritually fed. I can sustain myself on that because that's the real nourishment my body needs, really. Now, I, I still need to eat for real food, obviously, but I'm not hungry like you think you would be after working all day or something like that. But in order to fill up on God, you have to put yourself before God. So that's the second application piece. You need to set yourself, put yourself before God. And so last Thursday for our big Thanksgiving pizza thing, at about 4.05 or so, we had uh, four kids. And I was like, oh, we just, I just ordered 12 pizzas and a bunch of other stuff like a half hour ago, and I'm getting ready to go pick it up. And we got four kids. I guess they're taking a lot of pizzas home. You know? And uh, it can be disheartening. I kind of looked around and everybody's like, oh, we got four kids. Whatever. Well, and we were going to press on, so that's why. We're, again, we're trying to live this like, hey, we got four kids, we'll work with four kids. Amen. But then I heard Kim, one of the teachers, pray. She's like, all right, we're going to pray. And so she prayed. And I was going out to the car. Mason and I were going to the car to get the pizzas. And all the kids were coming. Uh, we have several kids that ride their bikes up here. So they were coming right after she prayed. She said, look, I need to get before God and pray for whatever he wants to happen. By the end of the night, we had 25 people. Several parents, other kids, other, and, and, and the parents were like, they love coming here. They love coming to this Bible club. When? Because they come here, they come to hear God. They come to hear about Jesus. And so that is what you have to do when you are stuck, when you think that is the end of whatever, you have to get before God and pray. And so Oswald Chambers in that same, what we just read, that same, that same devotional piece, he says, God ventured his all in Jesus Christ to save us, and now he wants us to venture our all with total abandoned confidence in him. So we just give it all to God. We give it up for him. We live for him. And there are areas in our lives where faith 
has not worked in us yet. We may be really strong in one area, but we just haven't had that test yet, or that subject, so we haven't been tested yet on this one thing. So when it gets to that point, someone's like, I hate this class. I want, I want to drop it. I don't want to take it anymore. But we see this, that God is working on us through our lives because however long our lives is, is these things, He's going to sand all these, these burrs and these, these pieces off of us. And there were none of those places in Jesus, Jesus Christ's life. He was perfect, but, and there are to be none in ours. We are to be Christ-like. We are to just give everything over to Him. And Jesus prayed, this is eternal life that they may know you. Because that's the real meaning of eternal life. It's a life that can face anything it has to face without wavering. Because we trust in God. We know God. We, we know He's in charge. He has a plan. Whatever it means, even if we don't know, we know He has a plan. If we take this view, Chambers says, life will become one great romance, a glorious opportunity of seeing wonderful things all the time. God is disciplining us to get us into this central place of power. Right? We don't like that word discipline very much. We think it's a bad thing. We think being spanked or paddled or whatever it is is a bad thing. But being disciplined and being changed into who God wants us to be and knows we will be is part of the thing. That's part of the deal. And so when we do that, or while we're doing for this, getting disciplined or listening, we need to do the third thing is listen for God's voice in the miraculous and the mundane. We need to look for God, not just in the big fiery cloud or the fire that comes down and rains on the mountain. Like, that's God. Woo, that is awesome. But we also need to listen for the whispers. The person who tells you some, maybe some seemingly offhand comment about you're going to be a pastor or you're going to do this or this is going to happen or hey, did you talk to that person or do this or that? And so that's God talking also because we would always love to have God just be on the mountaintop throwing fire at our enemies having ravens feed us because it's unusual and miraculous. Like, yeah, well, how would you eat for breakfast? Oh, I, the ravens brought me some McDonald's today. I think tomorrow they're going to bring me pizza. I think they're, I got a mountain lion bringing me some chicken. That'd be great. Yeah, they, uh, God's, God's bringing me food all day with, with these crazy things. That'd be great. Because people are like, okay, I trust you now. I believe in God because he's making these things happen. But oftentimes it's the small voice that tells us to go or wait that's actually God talking to us. So the apostles wanted the conquering king showing up at the gate of the city, taking it over, throwing the Romans out of Jerusalem, or the Son of Man riding on the clouds here to just take back the kingdom. But what we got, what we got was an infant born of a virgin laying in an empty feed trough. Because their mother and father had just traveled however many miles to where they needed to go. A boy who lived a fairly regular life, they wanted a royal, a royal king, but they got a boy who lived as a carpenter or construction worker, the more accurately perhaps, a tradesman, until he grew to adulthood. And instead of leading a revolt, he was led up a hill lugging a crossbeam that he would hang from in a few hours. Right? That is what... That is what we got. That is God in the small voice talking to the world. This is how he sees it. This is his plan. But then the apostles thought the whole journey was over and they ran away and hid in the upper room ready to quit their mission. Or what do we do next? Well, we got these leftovers. Let's eat them and then we can figure out where to go. Until the risen Lord appeared to them. 
And then they revealed, he revealed the next phase of the mission, to go into the world and make disciples. So everything that happened was completely opposite of what they thought was going to happen. And that's the way God works. That is the overarching standard standing order, however. Go and make disciples. So if you get stuck and you don't know what to do, go make disciples. If you are in between your hill and your valley, go find somebody to talk to about Jesus. That is your job. Nothing else, that's what your job is to do. Because the people love the idea of Jesus healing people, but they wanted to go get their, all their you know, ailments and everything else disappeared or fixed, but they didn't want to hear his teaching. They loved the bread he created, but they didn't understand that he was the bread of life and the one of living water as well. And so wrapping up, God is there in this story defeating death. He, he prohibited Elijah from taking his own life. He prohibited, he was not going to let his church die, his nation die. Because why? Because this is important. Israel is important to the salvation of the world because Jesus is a Jew. The Israelite nation, you know, Israel and Judah, have to make it all the way through to enable Jesus to be born and fulfill prophecy. So he is not going to let his plan fail. Because God is the king of the world. He turned Elijah's hopelessness into hopefulness. It's a couple letters that have a huge change in how we think. We go from less hope to full hope. And he is sovereign over his creation, his mission to bring his kingdom into existence. And that's not going to fail or stop. Because he is the king. And so when it seems hopeless, look to God. Look and listen for his word. When you're stuck in the valley, look to the sky. Look up where your help comes from because it's going to help. It's going to come from God. But also leave you listening and looking. Look for God in the sparrow or the butterfly as much as you look for him in the whale or the Kodiak bear. So it would be very obvious. That is what we do. So how, we, how do we do that this week? It's kind of up to you guys. Where is, where is God talking to you or showing you things that maybe you missed because it's not obvious? Or maybe you overlooked it because it's tiny. Like, yeah, it's a hummingbird or whatever. I don't need to see that. Right. figure out how we do this in our lives. Because that will keep us on kind of an even plane as we walk our lives. The road isn't going to be as bumpy. Or at least we won't think it is. So as we sing our last few songs, I want to make sure we hear this and, and, and take in this word. So let's go ahead and get ready as we sing our last few songs.